0: Anybody else, uh, anybody else been watching any of those great shows that are, man, I feel like they're just rolling out with some great shows, You might watch Cobra Kai, any Cobra Kai fans in here? I, got, I just gotta find my audience, I gotta find my audience, what's that? You watch a little bit, anybody else? Yeah, dude, it's just, it's, yeah, Marcy, a little bit, yeah, yeah, it's pure entertainment, it's pure entertainment, the, the, the first season I think is the best cool, uh, cool, 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 cool. You know, uh, there were was, was, uh, several new uh, faces last week, uh, and Michaela preached an awesome sermon on snakes, and, uh, and I looked at some of the college students, and I and I said, you know, we don't usually talk about snakes, but we're leaning into it this week. It's really good. Uh, and so for those of you I said that to, I totally lied because we're talking about snakes again this week. So because uh, <laughs> it was so good, I was like, we need more of this. So we're back. And, uh, and actually, no, I, I, uh, so I think the way that, that had worked, Emily was like, hey, you want to talk about snakes? That's what's up with snakes. And so, uh, she did. By the way, it's, it's on the podcast, you can hear it. And, um, then I'm like, okay, I'm preaching this Sunday. I haven't really looked at it yet. This is Monday. I opened up the lectionary. And I was like, lo and behold, Numbers 21, serpent on a pole. And I was like, we're back. Uh, and I was like kind of praying about this Sunday and the text. Meanwhile, I, uh, my, my, my mom leaves me these, she doesn't text me, she leaves me uh, voice messages. Uh, are you with me? Not voicemail, voice messages anyway. And I get this picture and she's like cleaning out her pool skimmer uh, like you do and uh, she sends me this, you're not going to be able to see it, Uh, it's this picture of her pool skimmer and it's like this little bitty, little bitty snake wrapped around the pole of this skimmer. I was like, that is crazy. And I actually send this to Michaela. I'm like, what do you think? And Michaela's like, that's a red belly, whatever. It eats slugs. And I'm like, cool, cool, go. Cool. So I, I, I said that to my mom. I'm like, stop killing it. Cause my mom's like that person, you know, it's she's, she's like snakes under her shovel. You know, I'm like, it's part of your ecosystem. Uh, anyway. And I was like, I just kept looking at that picture and I was like, man. So I sent this to my mom. I'm said, I was like, this is, this is kind of ironic this is what this reminds me of it's like that little medical symbol in your handout, know, you know and i sent that to her and i was like oh that's kind of funny like it looks just like that and uh and she's like text me back with with actual fingers and she said reminds me of the israelites in the wilderness And I was like, hmm, 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 yes, it it, kind of does, doesn't it? Anyway, so, this is marinating on all that this week. Uh, So, here we are. So, actually... Uh, the reason we're in this text is this last Wednesday, the 14th of September, is what's known as the Feast of the Holy Cross, which is one of the 12 uh, known liturgies we get out of the Byzantine era, and it's associated with September 14th in the year 335, when a complex of buildings were dedicated by Constantine on what was believed, is believed to be the site of the crucifixion. Uh, which is kind of interesting. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess this season of creation uh, this year is a little more cold-blooded. Uh, snake joke. Okay, so I'm going to read. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. I want to read this passage again and, uh, and talk about a couple things. And for whatever reason, we didn't catch it, but man, that word poisonous got in there again, which is, gosh. And uh, anyway, and it's not even venomous, actually. The, the correct translation, if you were to just translate it, it's fiery serpent, uh, right? And so translators are sort of making leaps to say, oh, you get bit by a snake. It feels, feels like it's burning. You may have said this. And it's like, so anyway, it's kind of interesting. So we'll, we'll do some real-time translation. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go to the land, around the land of Edom, the Israelites, BTW, but the people became discouraged on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us here out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food, manna. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord so that, uh, to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed. Moses interceded for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it on a pole. And whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. It's the word of the Lord. So yeah yeah back back in this text one of the one of the fascinating things uh Michaela pointed out last week right is that this Hebrew term seraph uh can be translated either as fiery serpent or seraphim right which is fascinating uh you can go either way literally same word and so if you go into Isaiah or something when when uh, there's sort of these moments where the, you know, in scripture talking about seraphim, right, well, could be fiery servants, you know, and so we're looking at uh, context clues to tell us what is what. It's, it's very fascinating, and so uh, also the root word for seraph is um, pretty much indistinguishable uh, also as seraph, and it means to burn... Uh, literally, I mean, if the if the Mesoretic little dots weren't there, I don't really know how to even tell the difference. Uh, but um, it means to burn, which is pretty interesting when we think about you know the role kind of we talked about a few weeks ago the role of fire in the Bible and that sort of thing. Yeah. So here in this ancient story about the Israelites, they're coming out of the wilderness. They're getting close to the end of like a four-decade-long journey and uh, and it's almost complete but they're not quite there yet and they find out in this text that they've got to go around Edom. And so it's like that senioritis moment, you know? It's like uh, you're almost graduated, it's almost done, you've boarded the cruise ship, like the hotel is booked, uh, and then it's like, oh, uh, you got like one more paper due. Did you not know about the the last paper? You know, And and it's just like, oh, like so close. It's like you've already checked out, you know what I'm saying? And then, oh, there's more to endure, right? This is when true patience. Uh, this is when true patience is tested, and and all of a sudden, right in a fitful rage, uh, the Israelites start throwing decades of provisions back in the Lord's face. Right, stupid wilderness, stupid manna, stupid this, stupid, stupid, stupid. Right, all over again. And let me just say, as a parent who's had to deal with a little bit of this this week, some of you know what I'm talking about, Uh, I'm not going to get into the story. Uh, You know, I mean, fiery servants, not like, you might have been going easy on them. Uh, But um, yeah, so that whole thing went down. And uh, yeah, hashtag hashtag parenting. But um, yeah, it's fascinating. But I think it's important for us to step back and say also that this isn't the point of this story. And in fact, I think most of our uh, uh, theological entanglements with Scripture, and especially the Old Testament, is when we try to, to put our sort of Western binary 2022 logic onto some of these ancient stories. Right, and these ancient texts that were told by bedsides and firesides for centuries and thousands of years before they were ever even written down uh, on on who God must be like, right? And then we translate this over and over. It's one of the reasons I actually do love being part of the Church of the Nazarene, is because of what we believe about Scripture, right? And while the Bible is full of um, contextual misunderstandings and thousands of years of human involvement that just don't add up. Um, it still, we believe, reveals to us all things necessary for our salvation, right? If you open up uh, Church of the Nazarene Manual and go to Article 4, right, on Scripture, like that's what it says, right? We believe in that, that the Bible, without error, perfectly conveys everything to us that we need to know about salvation. And so, what's even fascinating, if you look at this text here, Numbers 21, in, in this pericope that we just read, it says that they had to go around Edom. But if you keep reading uh, Numbers, you keep reading this text, later it will say that they went through Edom. <laughs> and it's actually, I, I think this is actually a great little side point uh, to, to remind us, uh, right? Like, which is it? This is one of those funny little ones that, like, they don't have any good answers to. Which is it? Did they go in? Did they go out? Did they go around? Well, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter, Right? We believe that God conveys to us through Scripture everything necessary for salvation perfectly. That's, that's what we believe. And so sometimes I think we get caught on some of these things, right? What that means is that I don't have to jump through theologi- theological or contextual hoops to make sense of fiery seraphim uh, snakes. Are you with me? Attacking God's people. But I can, and we are allowed to, put on a higher lens and ask questions like, what here is conveyed about God's salvific plan in creation? What here is conveyed about God's salvific plan in creation? Further irony, um, the same day, uh, right, uh, that I was looking at this text, right, I I showed you guys, I got this, this picture from my mom, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Uh, right and um, yeah this this whole this whole thing just started This lighting, the dash light started coming on for me and uh, cause, cause, cause it's like man th- these seem to be like one for ones here um, like Moses intercedes for the people and their snake bites and, and, and then God tells Moses okay now like Go get a fiery serpent and put it on a pole uh, and and that person can look at it and, and live like fascinating right of of all the ways that that God could have responded. Are you with me this morning? Like like we could have done this we could have done this in so many ways uh, right I, I mean, you know, healing, you know we have water I, I don't know like how many other ways could could like we find? Uh, you know, healing from a snake bite uh, in this text. No, 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 that's not what we're going to do. We're going to do this, snake on a pole. That's what we're going to do. Yeah, no, that's what we're going with. And and so now, thousands of years later, for places of healing all over the world, you can see some form of snake on a pole. (laughs) Are you with me? Like all over the world. Uh you know, and so this was passed out, this was a powerful story in Hebrew tradition. And eventually, uh, you can Google these things. Uh eventually the Greeks grabbed some of this narrative and it showed up a lot in Greek mythology. And then we here in the West ended up grabbing a lot of that and using it for uh hospitals and medical centers and, and things like that. Uh it's really fascinating, isn't it? So what do we do here? what do we do here with uh, this, this solution, right? Another snake. What does it mean that what gives you life is the same thing that brought you death transformed? What does it mean that the same thing that gives you life is what brought you death transformed? Right? If you get by, bit by a venomous snake today, like, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to call Michaela, and you're going to hopefully get anti-venom, which uh, isn't, isn't, a, uh, isn't a, an easy thing to acquire, especially depending on where you live, Right? We who live in the age of vaccinations ought to be a little bit familiar with this, right? Uh, anti-venom wasn't even a thing until about 100 years ago. And the basic principle, right, is that your body builds r- what? Like antibodies. This is, I mean, this is fascinating stuff from exposure to the toxin itself, right? And today they're actually doing a lot of science around people with severe allergies with the same, same sort of thing. And, and Uh, there's there's new cases now where people with severe peanut allergies are actually being quote-unquote kind of cured of that through controlled um, uh, small doses of being exposed to peanuts. It's fascinating. Uh, Anyway uh, yeah so that, that programmed within the body uh, with, within creation is this capability that what was meant for our harm can be transformed for our good. Are you with me this morning? Actually, so this guy named Albert, right, uh, came up and invented the first anti-venom serum in like 1896. And uh, present day uh, Vietnam, after a flood, forced a whole bunch of cobras into this village. And 40 people got bit. Four people died, and uh, anyway, and so he ended up, uh, so vaccinations were kind of coming about at that point, and he made it his mission to create anti-venom, which he did using horse blood, which is fascinating. Uh, anyway, but this one guy took it further, this guy named Bill Haast, or Bill Haast, which, every way you want to go with that, could be parcel tongue, not sure, uh, and anyway, he was a famous snake handler, and he died at the age of, hun- of 100 of natural causes, let it be none. And uh, anyway, but he would milk up to like 100 snakes a day to try to get antivenom, because you need like high quantity. And anyway, uh, so he got bit quite a bit, and realizing this, in 1948, he began injecting himself with increasing small doses of diluted cobra venom in order to develop his own immune resistance. And so by the time he died, when he was like 100, he had survived 172 snake bites from king cobras and blue, and blue crates and Pakistani pit vipers and all of this stuff. And so this dude had such, uh, had built up all these antibodies. which is fascinating. Uh, he would uh, fly around the world like saving people's lives by donating his own blood and he ended up saving 21 people's lives uh, by donating transfused his own blood for other people to live you can't make this stuff up which brings us this morning to the cross there's this one passage There's this one time where Jesus references Numbers 21 that's recorded. And it's right before the verse that everyone in this room probably has memorized. For God so loved the world. Are you with me this morning? John 3.16. Well, before we get to John 3.16, when Jesus is hanging out one night with Nicodemus, old Nicky, he's having this conversation. He says, Jesus says, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. It's the word of the Lord. Of all the passages in the Bible, Jesus gets his running start to John 3:16 through numbers 21. Jesus compares himself with a snake, and not just any snake, right here, lifted up in the wilderness, numbers 21. So, here in the middle of the night with this Pharisee, God incarnate is talking about being born again, about the redemption of the whole world, is hitting some serious bass notes, okay? And in that discussion is this reference to this ancient story about healing, about trusting in God, about the ancient healing work that God's been doing with the Israelites for a very long time. Jesus speaks to Nicodemus about his own death and yet about his own glorification. Because you see, there's this Greek verb that Jesus uses uh, called hoopsao. Look at someone and say, hoopsao. It's also a partial tongue. Hoopsao. <laughs> so hoopsao means to lift up. But hoopsao also means to exalt. Hmm. Here's the kicker this morning. The plot thickens, right? Which is it? Is it exalt or is it lift up? Which, which one is it? We got to know. Our Western minds, we got we to gotta choose. Which one is it, right? Is it this or is it that? Is it fiery serpent or is it heavenly being cherub seraphim thing, right? Which is it? We need to know. Which brings us uh, to life and death, doesn't it? It sort of pulls the curtain back a little bit and reveals the complexity between life and death, right? We want to know what is it over and over again. Scripture's like, "Mm." yep, yep. Which is it? Yep, yep. Why the heck do we wear these symbols of death, these crosses around our necks and hang them from our rearview mirrors and get these great tattoos on our thighs, right? Why do we do this? Because Jesus, Jesus' crucifixion is Jesus' exaltation. Are you with me this morning, right? Jesus' crucifixion and Jesus' exaltation happen within the same breath, both, and there's a deep thing through this whole, uh, through this whole of scripture right here this morning. To believe, right, that, that what, what you believe is killing you today. Harming you at the touch, right? What if I told you that God wants to transform that into something new, into something good, right? Into something that's healing, right? What if I told you this morning that God's wanting to pull the judo trick? Some of you have heard me talk about the judo trick. I think actually some years ago now, I think... Aiden and I did a wrestling match, I feel like in a sermon. I have a vague memory of this. Right? You know, you know the judo trick? Right? Where you come to hit me and I use the inertia of your attack to just boop. Right? It's the judo trick. That's how it works. Moving that energy into something else. This is, this, is, this is what we're talking about this morning. This is kingdom Cobra Kai stuff. Are you with me this morning? Here's the question. Here's the question. We're going to land this plane. Where have you been bitten? Where have you been bitten? I think we'd all be lying a little bit to say that we haven't been bitten, that we don't have a wound. And maybe for some of us, maybe that's an old scar, barely see that thing. Maybe for some of us, at any given point, it's black and it's blue, some shade of purple. And maybe for some of us, right, man, it's like, it's like call the ambulance blood on the floor. right? I've seen some some things even just this week and like some some posts that people made right on social media and that kind of thing and you're like man what happened what happened blood on the floor right? and there's lots of ways to get wounded right? man there's lots of ways to get wounded we can, be, we can be wounded from all sorts of people in all sorts of places. Family members, friends, religious abuse. There's no shortage of ways to get bit. But here's the thing this morning. There's only one way. There's only one source to find healing. What does it mean right? What does it mean this morning that your healing comes through this one way? It's the reason we come back every single Sunday and do the do this in remembrance of me thing. Are you with me this morning that that behind the thing behind the thing with the incarnation. For the incarnation that Jesus God divine reality himself, right, puts on flesh and blood in order to become the body that gets injected with the venom so that we all might find healing. This is not a youth pastor thing. We're not, I'm not trying to spiritualize this. We're not spiritualizing this this morning. In fact, it's, it's, man, it's so far the other way. It's fleshy. It's material. It's bodily. You can touch it. You can slap it. You can feel it, right? You see, when God puts on flesh and endures death, right, all of a sudden antibodies are created for every sort of wind. When God, God's self endures death and is resurrected All of a sudden, antibodies are created for every sort and kind and shape of wound. And so this morning, uh, before the kids come back in, yeah, I think I would just like to invite us to, to to reflect on that and to pray about that. And I think that's a very important thing for us as the family of God, not just to be willing, of course, to share our wounds with one another. But, man, just to be willing to share those with God. Man, that's a, that's, that's a risky thing. And we all know that's a very risky thing, right? What if I get hurt again? I'm going to rip that Band-Aid off. I'm going to open up that wound. That thing's festering. What if, what if, what if? But what if this morning there's no such thing as going out until we've first gone back in? It's the same reason Jesus sits by the fireside with this old Pharisee and says things like you got to be born again, right? Doesn't make sense any other way. What we're not saying this morning is that God wants to make your life butterflies and sunshine because that's not following Jesus, right? We, we, we already know, right? There's a cross involved. There's, there's, there's healing work, right? There's shadow work. There's wound work that's got to be done this morning. And so I guess the question for us becomes is, are you willing to open your wound up enough for Christ to come in and do what Christ do? The lifted up, wounded, exalted, healing Christ this morning let's go into a moment of prayer uh, as we've got maybe a minute here. And I just, again, invite you to however you want to do that, however you want to respond, whatever you need to pray. And uh, let's just, let's just, let's just take maybe a moment of silence and then I'll offer a prayer for us.